basic premise of Jesus, if he's fully human and fully divine, one of the oldest sort of creeds, statements in the Christian faith, is that in his full humanity, we see things like Jesus wept, his questioning, his ache, his pain, his response to things. We learn something about Jesus. And there's been a tendency sometimes, I think, within church world, if you've grown up, grown up around Western church in particular, where you sort of like feelings are bad and you sort of divorce yourself from them or you need to kind of be a person of victory. And so you just sort of push away and will away all the bad stuff so that you can just, you know, yeah, but God's good, but God's good, don't worry. If you're having doubts, if you're questioning, if you're sad, yeah, it's just because you don't have enough faith. Right, it turns God sort of into this, something that God's not. Mourning and lamenting and grieving and the reality of dealing with what's below the surface. Right, there's many couples in our church, which I love this, married couples, uh, who go to marriage counseling on the regular. And they don't go just when things are bad. They go regularly. They go all the time because they recognize that they are bringing things into their marriage. They recognize they're bringing things into their relationship. Many folks, uh, it's funny, whenever you have a platform, uh, some folks, they, they just tend to kind of put you in a different category. And uh, my, my wife reminds me, not in a, in a sassy way, in like a loving way. She's like, man, like the people in your congregation could see you right now. I know it sounds harsh. But what she means by that is like recognizing like the vulnerability or like the little broken boy that's inside of me. Right? There's those people in, in marriages or in close relationships that you have, close friendships maybe that you have where people see those things. And we need to be aware of those and not just sort of push those back and push those aside and push those away. So we've talked about like the importance of dealing with the past, dealing with what you came from, what you're carrying in, the importance of grief, dealing with grief and loss. Talked about the power of limits, receiving the gift of limits. Like limits are a really good thing. I've met so many folks in a number of counseling meetings that week after I preached on that because there were so many folks that were like, I need to stop doing all of this. I need to realize my limitations as a person and realizing the freedom that comes from that. And then how many took a Sabbath this week? Oh, make me feel good. How many took a Sabbath? Lie to me. I literally thought about, I feel so passionately about Sabbath, I just literally thought about like, not preaching today and just, hey, if you didn't take a Sabbath, figure out why and make a plan. So last week we talked about the gift that Sabbath is to, and why it's so critical to you being a remotely healthy person. And what I love about something like Sabbath is there's all this ancient, godly, biblical wisdom about it. And then modern day, like, Social sciences, what we're learning about the human body and our biology and everything from like management books that are like people read like, like, like entrepreneurs who are trying to build the next big thing that read and they're all talking about the same thing as if they just discovered something. Yeah, one 24-hour break of all this stuff. It's amazing what it'll do for you and your company. And yeah, It's awesome. I love that they're discovering truth that is incredibly old about who we are and what we need. So if I could open this sermon uh, with that, like, take a Sabbath. I just encourage you to do it. Take a break and stop. And so today is sort of the telos of this entire series. It's like the end game. So uh, beginning talking about marriage is kind of a, I didn't plan to start that way, but sort of apropos. Right? Marriage is a healthy marriage or a really healthy friendship, a healthy partnership is when somebody is placing themselves into the center of another person. 
to loving themselves, placing themselves, loving. If, if the command for us is to love our neighbor, you know, your spouse or your best friend, these are your closest neighbors. And so we realize, and we all know this intuitively, if you're bringing in a whole bunch of baggage into that relationship, it's going to affect how you love that other person, right? Right? It's going to deeply affect, like, your capacity to love. And so the sort of final principle kind of is, is sort of a principle, but it's sort of just like an end game. And it's recognizing the incarnation, and we're going to talk about the incarnation in a moment, as a model for loving well. That if you're doing all of these things that we've been talking about over this series, if you're beginning to press into a deeper awareness of what's going on below the surface, of where you come from and what you're shaped by and allowing God to heal you and reveal new things about you, to set you free, to bring healing and life and joy, right? There is a reason we did this series during Lent. It's a time of year where you're focused in. There's some introspection on what's happening in your own heart and the brokenness there. When you begin to do that heavy work and keep coming back to that time and time again, you'll find yourselves then naturally being able to love well and not treating people as objects. Which, by the way, I've never met a person who thinks that they treat their friends as objects or loves people in that kind of way. No one thinks that. So before you write it off, like, oh, cool, that's not me. Of course I agree with you. Yeah, of course you agree with me. Everybody agrees. Yeah, don't treat people as objects. But we do it all the time when we don't place ourselves into the center of that person. We don't um, climb into their boat. We sort of just bump up against it in our own. So I want to talk about incarnation, which is something we talk a lot about around Christmas time, which is this pivotal, pivotal aspect of our faith of the story, which is God of the universe. Stay with me because I'm going to use the word incarnation all the time. You got to get this if you're brand new to the Bible. There's a lot of folks, by the way, in our church who are just exploring the way of Jesus for the first time. Uh, we love that you're here. This is truly an open and safe place for you to kind of explore. So I like to unpack some things that may feel basic but I think it's really important. You hear that word, yeah, incarnation. Incarnation, God of the universe. This is the crazy Christian belief. We got a bunch of them. Crazy Christian belief. Here it is. You ready? God of the universe. John calls it the logos. Like he's using a Greek word talking about like the ground of our being, the thing that's at the center of everything, the moral law, this sense of like governing, right? I, I, even there's very few people who don't have at least some vague sense of spirituality, Maybe for you that would be it, this general sense of like the universe. That that became flesh and blood. And as John says, moved into the neighborhood. That's this crazy Christian belief that we believe. That's the incarnation. That's why Christmas is a big deal. It all, it all kind of in some ways begins there. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. John says. Paul talks about it somewhere else in Philippians. If you have your Bibles, Philippians 2, verse 1, you can type into your uh, Google machine, P-H-I-L 2 colon 1, and it will just come right up. And, or you can put your phone away and rest. It'll be on the screen. Therefore, if you have any, this is Paul writing to a church. St. Paul writing to a church. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... This is just Paul using a rhetorical device to say, these are all facts. Because you know that you've experienced a sharing in the Spirit. You know you've experienced the comfort, the comfort of his love. You know that you've experienced tenderness and compassion. 
Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Here's the mindset then. He's setting it up. What's Jesus like? Love each other. Love each other. Love each other like Jesus loves you. Here's his. Who, being in very nature God, Jesus, the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. One way to say that in kind of a funny way would be, you're right all the time. You're right all the time. You're right all the time. And your constant rightness, the way that you beat people with your rightness. Anybody like that? No, you're supposed to say you're sitting next to somebody like that. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't use that rightness. You don't, you, don't, you don't need to use that. You don't access that when it comes to relating with others. We'll get to this in a bit. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He's in very nature God, but he takes the nature of a servant. He does not need to assert himself. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. God of the universe humbles himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The primary job of the church, I would like to assert to you today as we dive into this text, is to love well. Is to love well. That's the job of the church. Church is a bad church if it's not loving well. This is my basic assumption, assertion. The reason that we are here today is to love well. This is why we even like did the work that we did yesterday is just a symbol of like, hey, 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 we, we are here to love the city. We want to make a sort of demonstrative showing of recognized, showing to our city that, hey, we love you. So how do we love well? A couple ways. We love God well, we love each other well, and we love those in the world well. John 13, 33 Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Which, by the way, I wish you would have stopped right there. Because if it's just, hey, love one another, I'm going to give you no real great definition of love, and I can tell you how to do it. Just love one another. Everybody agrees with that. Everybody, at least up here. Love one another. I just wish he had stopped. Then he goes, as I have loved you. Ah. Why? Why is that hard? Sacrificially. You can shout me, shout me down. I'm clearly amped up today. Sacrificially. You are not just supposed to generally love people. Whatever that is to you. There's, a, there's some specificity here. And then it gets worse, by the way. Jesus gets worse. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So not only are you supposed to love like Jesus loved, which is a tall order, that's the way everyone's going to know who I am. Jesus weds in some, in some very concrete ways the furthering of his kingdom and the message of God and the knowledge of God with us loving each other in a sacrificial way. How are you doing with that? How are we doing with that? 
the way in which the world will know who God is. Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, I just pray that you would reveal your love to that person. I pray that prayer all the time. It's a beautiful prayer. I don't want to shoot that down. Have you ever had it? Now, I'm not saying God hasn't answered this and can't or anything like that. Don't get it all twisted. My Calvinists in the room. But if you found that happens often, someone just came up, hey, man, I was walking down the street, and I realized I am so loved. I just realized I am so loved. It's interesting because the more texts we get into, and I just want to have this kind of hover over us, we realize that actually the onus is on us. That you almost have this sense as we continue to read that God's like, yeah, I hear you praying that prayer. Go love them like I've loved you. And then, they'll, th- then this connection will begin to happen. You do that, and then, and then this will all happen. Love the world well. It all seems to hinge actually on that middle piece. Love God well, love each other well, love the world well. In order to love God well, you got to love what? Others. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has, has no man than he laid down his life for his friends. First uh, John 4.20, in case you missed it, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Gonna do these long pauses after I read verses like that, just to make sure we get it. How many of you heard that verse before? How many of you that causes a little bit of anxiety? It should. Healthy, holy anxiety. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. We don't like to preach on that. No, you love God. You love God. You can just love God, like in a, in your mind. Okay, that's just not in here. That's cool though. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they've seen, like can't love God, whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everything hinges on the middle thing. If I'm going to love God well, i got to love other people well. If the world's going to know who God is, i got to love other people well. You following me? It all hinges on the center one, loving each other well. You literally can't love God if you're not loving the people around you. It's like not, there's a disconnect. There's the disconnect. Because part of the issue, right, is we end up making God into our own image. Yeah, we love God because God is exactly like us. How many, how many of you, God is directly in line with all of your political positions? Yeah. Yeah, of course he is. God thinks the same way you think about fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm supposed to love everybody and my enemy, but, like, that roommate was just really annoying and it was really hard to get along with them, so I didn't really pursue, like, reconciliation with them. Fill in the blank. If you love God, you got to love others. How do we sh- and that's how we show the world. Everything hinges on this. He's, and God says he's going to tie you know, authenticity in some way of the movement to loving each other well. So to get at this, how do we do this? I want to start with this. Uh, let's start with what love is not. Let's start with what love is not. Love, as a, first of all, love is a feeling. Love is a feeling. Uh, it's almost like I found, I don't know if you're like me, I can't love people, hard to love people who, that we don't like. Uh, I heard a comedian be asked, he was asked the question, hey, do you think you could ever get along well with somebody who you didn't like and you didn't like their act? I thought, what a, what a like, silly, dumb question. Like, you must think so low of this particular comedian. 
like this is the question that the interviewer was asked, asked this guy. He's like, could you ever really like be friends with somebody who you didn't like their act? And he pauses for way too long. And then I'm thinking at the end of it, he's going to like make a joke or smile. I'm like, of course. And he goes, no, nah, I don't think so. Yeah, it kind of feels sort of ridiculous, but I think, I think there's actually something really pragmatic about that. I think it's, I mean, it's kind of being honest about our propensities. Jesus then goes further, right, and says, love your enemies. We only typically love people who are like us. You have a really good taste in music? Cool. We'll become be friends. In other words, love becomes simply a feeling. And 1 John 3.18 hits right against this. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. With actions and in truth. And secondly, what love is not is tolerance, which is sort of like a to each his own. Uh, we've come to believe that to right to disagree with somebody uh, is to hate someone. I'd say that's maybe a word for our day. If we disagree with you about something, if I disagree with you about something, I must hate you. Uh, love becomes tolerance. And if we look at our model of Jesus, he's constantly confronting people. I mean, you could put it this way. Jesus sort of disagreed with everything that was going on in the world. That's kind of why he came. Right? He was like, I'm kind of not into a lot of this. Uh, we made something good here. This thing has been set off in a not so good direction. For God so loved the I'm coming. In fact, because I love you. And it's okay that we don't agree. <laughs> There's a better definition, right, of tolerance. Which I would say we get from, of all people, Voltaire. Though I disapprove of what you say, I will defend to the death the right you have to say it. Anyway, so what's biblical love? This is where I just want to land us in Philippians 2, is love as incarnation, which a definition for us today is a concrete or actual form of a quality or concept. In other words, raw, real, physical, emotional, showing up beyond just words, beyond just sentiment, here, now, flesh and blood. Again, John 1, 14. The word, the word became flesh. The logos became flesh. The ground of our being became flesh and blood and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Right? It's all in there. He comes and he shows up with all grace, with all love and grace and truth. Love that takes on skin and bone. We all have a definition and understanding of love, and that's what gets us all twisted, which is why in many ways I love being a follower of Jesus. We actually get very concrete, specific definition, not just in Paul's writing of what love is. Love is patient and kind. We actually get a picture of what it's like, and it's pretty extreme. I love when people talk about, like, fundamentalism. Like, fundamentalism is this idea of, like, roots, of getting to the root of something, the fundamentals of something. I'm always like, man, I would love more Christian fundamentalists. Like, just like literalists in so many ways. There's like, this like, oh, cool. Like, everything, if you're going to just not even read any context into anything, you should be, well, we know that Jesus is the full fruition of all of God, and so we should lay down our life for people. You just got people, like, walking around, like, trying to die for other people. Like, like throwing themselves, like, at the mercy of whoever is around. Oh, I'm supposed to sell my possessions and give to the poor. I'm not going to ask any questions about context or whether that's for me or for someone else. I'm just going to start selling stuff. There's something about the Christian view of love that is extreme. It's made clear to us. It's this laying down. It's love 
that, that gets shown in all of like what it looks like when pure and beautiful love shows up that is truly sacrificial and rooted in the things of God that are most true, it will find itself probably pinned to a cross because it will disrupt, right? The love of God will disrupt. It will disrupt. How do we know love? We look at Jesus. So, Philippians 2, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort in his love, any common sharing in the spirit, and any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, jumping ahead, and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the same mindset. Do what he did. Do what he did. Do what he did. He wants to adopt people into a family that's loving. He wants to adopt people into a community that has the same mindset as Jesus. This is why Paul's writing this to this church. Look, this emotionally healthy stuff that we've been going through isn't just for, oh, it's for our own personal growth. But as we've said often, the culture of your heart, like what's going on in your heart, like it's going to affect the culture of the people that you're closest to, like your, your, your spouse or your friends or your kids. And that's going to affect the culture of this community here and how we love and care for one another, which is going to affect the culture of our city if we're engaging. I think God wants to invite more people here into our church. I think God wants to pack out the Columbus and pack out this space on next Sunday morning. I actually think God wants to do that. But I, I, the more and more I read scripture, I have these, re, has, these reservations or these hesitations of like, God, how are we doing? Like, how are we doing? Like, are we the kind of place that people can be adopted into this family and being full of love? Are we the kind of church that will take people in and work through the long haul of trying to see redemption and reconciliation actually come with folks? Are we the kind of people who are going to, like, just shoot a quick video about somebody who was really poor, and now they have some money, and they're doing okay, and then they quietly disappear from our church a year later? That wasn't specific. Right? This should energize us, not shame us. Please don't feel this weird wave of guilt in this moment. I pray you feel energized. Because Jesus is inviting his church to have the same mindset as Christ. To lay everything down for the sake of others. This is what it is. When we become fully emotionally healthy, when we move toward greater health, the natural outflow, the telos of that, moves us into a place of placing um, ourselves into the life, into the center of someone else's being. It moves us to a place of loving people incarnationally, in the flesh. It moves us into that space because we find great healing in our own heart and we're aware of what we're bringing in to the relationships around us, thus causing so much greater and deeper love and forgiveness and grace. As God helps us to become emotionally healthy, we will love better. We will love better. So, Jesus, very nature God, taking the very nature of a servant. He became one of us, also without letting himself go. Like without letting go of all of himself. He's still in the very nature God, and it takes on the nature of the spirit. When we love our city well, we love it well by becoming one of them, but without losing ourselves. Love, 
right? If it's going to be healthy love, we can't lose track of who we are, of what roots us. We so often when we move out into spaces of loving others recklessly and radically, we can kind of lose ourselves. We see Jesus in very nature, God, this is who he is. And he takes on the nature of the servant. This kind of highlights the classic verse, be in the world and not of it. We should be a peculiar people who live amongst the world, loving and blessing and serving. And so just as we become a servant to all, we do not become all. So often I think we go out into the world wanting to love and serve and bless and shape the world into greater forgiveness and kindness and joy in the things of heaven, and we can find ourselves being shaped by the world instead. They don't see that happen in Jesus. He took on servanthood, an expression of himself. When Jesus takes on flesh and blood, he didn't demand it. He didn't cling to his rights, and he knew who he was. So how are we going to love well? God was so concerned, remember, that he enters the world. When we have to enter each other's worlds, and so when there's a disagreement, the first thing that we do is that we need to be a people. When we enter into other people's space, when we enter in, when we actually model Uh, take on the model of incarnation and how we love one another. We do this. um, The first thing we need to do is listen. If you're taking notes, we need to listen. I could be right. I could crush you with my rightness. But but I'm going to come and listen. This is the great story of Jesus, the woman at the well. How many of you are familiar with the woman at the well? This classic story of Jesus. He's out in the middle of the day, and he sees this woman who normally wouldn't be drawing water in the middle of the day. Right? That's when it's most hot. It's peculiar that she's out there. Jesus has this interaction with her. She tries to get into a theological discussion. He continues to talk to her. And instead of just jumping right to the point of realizing, oh, she's there because she feels the shame of other people because she's had this many spouses and she's committed these sorts of sins and she's been ostracized in some way from her community. Jesus listens, asks her questions. He's like, I want you to know, I want to know why you're really here. He enters into her story. He enters into her story and begins to actually minister to her. He takes on the form of a servant. We need to listen to people. This is what it means to love well, is to listen well, to set aside my own prerogatives and take on the form of a servant. This in so many ways is what this passage in Philippians reveals to us. I'm setting aside, I came and took the posture of a servant. I'm the all-powerful God. I'm taking the posture of a servant in order that you might experience the love and grace of God. What if that was our posture when it came to that, whatever that situation, that tension, that relationship? You know you're right. You think you're right. And what is it to lay down, to lay it down, to lay it down? Apparently that's how they'll experience God. Apparently that's tied to your own awareness of your own emotional health. If you have a problem constantly asserting your rightness, if you have a constant, I was at the um, March for Our Lives rally yesterday. We decided one of the projects was we were going to bless the people who were there. Just bless them. We're not trying to make some grand political point. With we want to bless you. We believe that's like an important thing. We want to see peacemaking happen too. And so as I go there, I don't know if you're like, any of you are like me, but I'm going there, I'm listening to the speakers and these kids were so inspiring. And the governor gets up and Sheldon Whitehouse and some folks. And my mind just immediately clicks. There's something wrong with me. I just click to all, like, like criticism. Anyone else like that? I'm like, yeah, I hear you saying that, but that policy really isn't that. Like, I believe generally in what you're saying here, but that literally is incorrect. And I'm like trying to critique, oh, you shouldn't say it like that. If we really wanted to make change, we wouldn't do this. And does this really change anything at all? And I'm like going through this laundry list just subtly in my head. And it's just constant, 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 constant. And it's like, 
there was this invitation for me in the middle of like, there's a lot of pain and a lot of fire of wanting to just make things right, a lot of exhaustion, and we don't really even need to know where to point the direction of what will help. We, 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 I, Andrew, join them. It's amazing what happened of just like being there and shifting into deep empathy instead of like looking for the right person to like spark a debate with. Come on, there's like two of you out there. You're like that. This is what Jesus does. He took on servanthood. Listened. Listens. Places himself in the center of humanity. David uh, Augsburger says this, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Good. I resonate with anybody? Like, that's me. You want it to, like, make me feel love? My love language just like... Just, oh, yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you, Andrew. My wife, Corey, has really had to learn that one because she's just like, you, you really need me just to listen? Yeah, just, just to listen. I'm just, I'm weak sauce. I'm a baby. <laughs> I need you just like, I need to just be able to say it. I need you to hear me and feel like I'm being heard. Being heard. Let's be heard. And I think this is the ache for all of us. This is the beginning of loving. This is the beginning of incarnation. This is the beginning of, you know, for, 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 for my wife, it's, it's been such an interesting thing for her because, yeah, she's grew up in a house where it's like, you don't, you're, you're good. Everyone's good. We're good, right? It's not that she's a bad listener at all. She's just always like, I, I didn't think that you really needed that. I didn't think that you really needed that. I didn't think that you really needed that. I, I didn't realize that you, you that's every time you do the x y and z it's it's often because you just don't feel understood and you're a big baby andrew <laughs> god didn't cling to his rights as god philippians says we don't need to defend our side of things we don't need to assert our rightness Learning to incarnate. This is from the book that we've been kind of following along with about emotional health. Learning to incarnate, to incarnate, is the sixth principle of emotional health because it assumes progress on the other five. To the extent that I am maturing in the first five principles is the degree to which I will be able to love well. So... Our commission today is to love the people around you and to show and realizing that in loving the people around you, it will show the world what God is like. We do nothing to receive this great love, but we have a responsibility. God has given us a responsibility to love in his name. We talk a lot about revival. We talk a lot about justice. We talk a lot about spiritual renewal in our church. And in so many ways, I was so convicted this week by looking at this text that part of that isn't just like having more faith that God can do something really powerful and big in our city. It 
I think it might be actually tied in a lot of ways with how we're loving well or not loving well. I think in a lot of ways, God would invite more people into our space, like that the way in which God apparently moves powerfully, the way in which more and more people will be stirred by the love and grace and mercy and beauty of Jesus. Well, the way that will happen is if we're, if we're loving. And I think in some ways it's easier to show up to a prayer service and ask God for revival. It's sometimes, I think, really easy to go and, and sort of, I don't know, enter into slacktivism, social media activism, than it is to really get our hands dirty and place ourselves in the middle of someone else. And more than ever, just on like a practical level, right? I don't need to tell you that our world is more divided than it has ever been, at least our nation. And so often it's because it's a bunch of people just not entering into the lives of the other person to listen and to hear and to know where they're coming from and why they're feeling that way. Dr. King, in his letter from a Birmingham jail, he gets thrown in jail after uh, doing a protest that really wasn't illegal, but the sheriff in that town had sort of set him up for, uh, for being thrown into jail. He went and did it anyway. He finds himself there shaking up this town Birmingham. A number of the clergy, a number of the clergy in that town write a letter in the paper and he gets to see it while he's in jail. Someone gives it to him. It's like an open letter to Dr. King from multiple clergy of all people. And basically the point of the letter is, hey, Dr. King, you just, you, you got to slow down. Like we appreciate what you're doing, but you got to think more wisely about this. You just got to like Basically, it was like telling Dr. King to like chill out a little bit. You're causing a lot of disruption. Wouldn't it be way better if we were a little more civil about this, these sit-ins and all these things? It's just, it's just a bit much. It's a bit much. He writes this, Perhaps it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, Wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your, of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Funtown is closed to colored children and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness towards white people when you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who's asking, Dad, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you. When you're humiliated day in and day out by the nagging signs of reading white and colored. When you first when your first name becomes nigger, your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and your wife and mother are never given the, the respected title of Mrs. When you are harried day and haunted by night by the fact 
that you are black living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentments. When you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. What's he doing? What's he doing for these clergy? These eight white clergy that wrote that letter. He's, he's letting them know what they, what they failed to do was to place themselves in his position, was to listen, was to understand why there's a great sense of urgency, why there's an ache, why? Johnny Cash goes and plays a concert Folsom Prison. Merle Haggard is this like country legend. He tells a story. He was in jail at the time. He's in this prison and Johnny Cash gets up. This is the first time a concert had ever been done there. And if you listen to the recording, I'm not going to do it now. Natalie, you don't have to cue the video. But like, if you listen to the recording of this, you hear the prisoners as soon as he starts to sing songs about like the hurt of humanity, about the us and them. Right, go back, go and listen to Folsom Prison Blues. Oh my gosh. You hear these hoots and hollers from these men in prison. Right, this, what could have been this really awkward situation? He didn't show up from San Francisco as some celebrity. What Merle Haggard says is he goes, he came in and he sang our songs. He sang our songs. I encourage you to watch on um, this trailer, Mr. Rogers movie that's coming out. Anyone seen this trailer? I was going to show it, but we're running out of time. It's this beautiful trailer. You will grow up watching Mr. Rogers, and you're like in tears, I swear, by the end of this two-and-a-half-minute trailer. There's a big documentary coming out this summer. Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian minister who talks tons about his faith, why it governs everything he does. And if you notice anything about Mr. Rogers, he becomes childlike. And he goes, I don't, didn't feel like I needed to put on a wig and a top hat to reach these children. For me, I just, just they needed to just know that they're being listened to. They're being heard. Oh, gosh, it's amazing to watch his faith, his love of God, and his knowing of how he's been loved just pour out into the show that has shaped millions. The way in which the world will know who I am is the way you love one another. You get the sense that Mr. Rogers has some emotional health going on. You get this sense of he just seems okay with who he is because you're kind of a weirdo. In like the best way, you know, he's just sort of like awkward and funny. Like imagine him as your friend. You're like, oh, my nerdy little friend, Fred. But he's got power. Dr. King's power, you get this sense of emotional health going on, walking into these certain ruins of situations and still engaging civilly. Johnny Cash, maybe not so emotionally healthy, but it was a good example. <laughs> Church. As we come to the end of this series, I pray that we take seriously the journey of being aware of what's happening in our own heart so that we may be a force to be reckoned with, a force that is animated and powered by the love of Jesus. We have been so loved, so loved, right where we are in all of our junk and wreckage. How could we not? How could we not? How could we not? How could we not? How could we not, How could we not be a people who lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. 
How could we not? And it will help us to do that. Recklessly doing that is why this series is so important. Because when we actually are aware of what we're bringing in, it helps us to love so much better. When we're aware of our insecurities, it helps us to love others so much better. And where we're aware of our ache, it allows us to identify and not treat people as objects, but as people who have a story. Everyone is fighting a great fight. May we remember that as we engage our own fight. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you and we thank you and we thank you for the great love that is shown to us in the bread and cup that we are about to eat. For the great love and peace that is revealed to us. Help us to feel better. May it help us to not just manage our emotions, but engage them, realizing they're revealing something about what's happening in our own heart. May we become people who are whole and integrated and made, made well. May we see the inward journey as critical to the outward journey. And we see the inward journey be critical to how we engage and love and shape the culture around us, how we shape our businesses, how we shape our classrooms, how we love and bless and shape our relationships and friendships and roommates, marriages, just all of it. May we allow you in deeper. And this journey is not over. It's sort of, it's like we just set the groundwork for what's gonna keep going, which is why every Sunday we come back to the bread and the cup because it just comes back to that every time. Christ's body broken and his blood poured out for you. You are loved and blessed and forgiven and known in the God of the universe, by the God of the universe. And so allow that to do the work in you that you might do that work in the world. In your name, everyone said, Amen.